Hi, and welcome to this week's VFX Show. I'm Mike Seymour, joined in studio. Well, actually, the studio's joined him, uh, my good friend Jeff Huser. How are you, Jeff? Hey, Mike. Very good. Thanks. This one coming to you live from Los Angeles in, uh, I would like to say the shadow, but it's probably the hangover cloud of last night's VES Awards. Um, but somebody that wasn't drinking with us at the VES Awards is Todd. How are you, Todd? I'm doing great. How are you guys? I'm doing well. Now, we're going to do a special Oscar um, preview uh, sort of show. We've done these before where we look at the uh, sort of roundup of the Oscars. We get our opinions as to what we think was good, not good. We're not trying to sort of just pick a winner, um, but we are going to sort of discuss what we think uh, had merit out of the current crop, and, of course, it represents a good year in visual effects. Um, well, I guess that's what I would say. I think it represents a good year. Todd, do you think it, this represented a good year in visual effects? Well, yeah, I mean, particularly like the, the list of 10, 15 films list narrowed down to 10 for the Bake Off. I mean, when really, really well-qualified films like Super 8 and, and, uh, are, are omitted from the, the Bake Off, it's like, like wow, this is, this is a pretty, it's an embarrassment of riches. This is, I think, a really good year. Yeah, what do you think, Jeff? That's true. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. The, uh, I haven't looked at that list in a while. But yeah, you're right. It's there have been quite a few films this year, and uh, yeah, even the even of the five, you kind of go, wow. You know, when you when I was kind of reviewing stuff for this, I kind of going back, and you know, I saw Harry Potter quite a while ago, and I was like, wow, looking at that, you know, just every film. It's like there's been a lot of work and a, and a ton of stuff in a lot of these movies. Let's dissect them a couple of different ways. The first way I was going to let we just look at them is in terms of what was mono and what was stereo, um, and if we go down the list. Uh, starting with Hugo. Hugo shot in stereo, uh, shot on uh, Alexa's, Jeff, uh, in a full stereo rig. Yes, Alexa. Yeah, the... Um... I know it was. I, we spoke to them about it. Yeah, I know. I was just looking at my list of notes about that. Yeah, the... Um... Yeah, and I thought it held up really well. I, mean, I thought it looked great on the screen in terms of I didn't see any issues with that in terms of the uh, Alexa. No, no. I think it was interesting, though, because, you know, obviously, from a visual effects point of view, trying to do stuff in stereo um, is significantly different than uh, if you were to do stuff in primarily mono and then dimensionalize it. Sort of, you know, one could reasonably argue that that's a sort of a second batch of artists, be them visual effects artists or, or special stereographers. But um, of the films, Rise wasn't stereo, Hugo was. Um, Harry Potter was what? Converted? I'm right in saying? Primarily, yes. I believe, yes. Yeah. Uh, Real Steel was neither. And Transformers was a hybrid, right? Because Transformers was primarily uh, going to be converted, but then more was actually shot in stereo than was, I think, initially slated when they were heading into production. Because, uh, well, I think apparently, from all accounts, Michael Bay just liked it. Well, yeah, he was really happy with the uh, the rigs that uh, were created. It gave him uh, more freedom than he was initially planning. So, yeah, he shot a lot more in, in uh, native stereo than he was expecting. Although I will say I was kind of intrigued when on the Telecine users group, they were talking about what films were shot with what in the nominated categories. And I kind of went through and made a list of the visual effects films. And um, of the five nominated films, two of them were shot on film. One was on the Alexa. One was on the F-35. When I got the Transformers and I was thinking about the stereo issues, it listed Alexa, Airy 235, Panavision, Panaflex, Red One, SI2K, and the F35, all. 
I was thinking, well, that's yeah. got to make things a little more. It was basically kitchen sink. I was like, wow, that's got to make things even more complicated. <laughs> it, it was an interesting uh, minestrone soup of formats, I must say. <laughs> so I guess from my point of view, uh, I found um, the conversion of Harry Potter to be completely believable. Like I remember seeing it in stereo and it didn't in any way alarm me the way some films have alarmed me. It was like sort of a good stereo conversion. Um, I found Hugo fairly remarkable in terms of the stereo. I thought it was really, really good. Um, and I think in, term, in the case of Transformers, I found that I kind of, I, well, I perceived I got a side benefit, which was the film didn't seem to be as cutty as some of the other stuff. So it sort of almost felt like they'd taken in editorial some of the um, the fast-cutting nature out of the film to accommodate uh, stereo perceptual um, kind of boundary, which I then appreciated as an audience member because, you know, I could get to watch the guys do stuff up on the screen, which I kind of wanted to do. I mean, I, I had a fight sequence of the same, you know, just of people, yet alone robots, when I can't see what's going on. It's just a blur of motion blurred kind of swipes. Um, do you think that's a fair characterization, Jeff? Yeah, no, I agree. I um, I was curious. I was curious about the cutting of that because I know on Hugo they were editing everything. They were editing everything in stereo, and that, since they were converting Transformer, uh, some of Transformers, I guess the, um, you know, I would think that the. Uh, I don't know if, the, if they cut it. In, I assume they didn't cut it in stereo then. So I just wonder how much of that was a factor. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that for a fact, but it just felt that way to me. Um, but I don't, I don't know that uh, that anyone had quite the same sort of stereo problems in, 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 in I mean, like in a sensible, challenging sense of problems that Hugo had. In particular, I'm going to point at the work that Lola did in the de-aging in stereo, um, which I discussed at the time, which I thought was just singularly remarkable. I think it's it's really hard to do de-aging on normal footage i mean just it is it's like a hard process it's not you know a full cg model and you can't kind of um produce a, a really good pipeline that just sort of nails it. it it's just hard work doing that in stereo just seemed to me to be phenomenally complicated which is why last night i was really glad at the um at the ves awards that lola uh was basically recognized for the compositing work it did in uh in captain america because obviously they did a different thing there. They made someone small and skinny, but it definitely meant that Lola got some uh, sort of time in the sun, as it were. Todd, you'd agree with that, wouldn't you? That was like exceptional compositing work in um, in Captain America. The the Captain America stuff is. It, it, I was talking to somebody about this today. It, I think if any specific effects of the year, I think that had a very high, you know, factor of how do they do that, like. You, you look at those shots and there you, you could just look at them on a loop for for hours and you know, where are the seams how are they doing this this is a pure performance is that a different actor is that his younger brother is you know what is going on uh, so th- there's there's definitely a uh, a real uh, allure to that sequence and, and Lola just consistently does just remarkable work and and it's kind of scary how even as great as their work has been over the years at this type of work or de-aging or, you know, head replacements and things like that. Um, the trajectory they're on is kind of frightening. <laughs> well, yeah. And as we all know, the, you know, the, uh, we're also used to learning the hard way that the tricks that we all grew up with and 
over the years don't really help in, in when you move to 3D stuff that you really find yourself gobsmacked with how much stuff you have to kind of leave behind and change and do differently. So yeah, it's I remarkable was, that they were able to do it so seamlessly. For FX Guide, I'm doing a series of interviews with every one of the films uh, in terms of the supervisors. And when I got to uh, Eric Nash of uh, Real Seal from Digital Domain, uh, he's a hell of a nice guy. Um, he actually says, and you'll hear this in the interview, that uh, obviously he's honoured to be nominated and everything else, but he kind of was surprised that they didn't get bumped by uh, by Captain America because of the Lola work. Basically, that that effect sequence, which is obviously in the first, what, 20 minutes of the film, yeah. was so remarkable that he had thought that maybe that would uh, cause them to be bumped out of the top five and uh, and for it to get in. So clearly, you know, we're not alone in thinking that was um, amazing stuff. Uh, speaking of the Visual Effects Society, do you want to give us a rundown of what else got some nods last night? Because it is a bit of a sort of a barometer, Jeff, of what uh, was, you know, um, uh, going to be received by the Academy. Though I should point out that there are, especially in the... the, the what is effectively the main two categories that we'd be relevant to here, which is, you know, Oscar type stuff. The films at the VES, for those that don't know, split into two categories. So you don't just have a sort of best visual effects in a film. You have best visual effects in the film where it's kind of really obvious that it's visual effects and then best visual effects where it's supporting. So in this particular case, Hugo wasn't competing, for example, against uh, some of these other films like Transformers or Rise of Planet of the Apes because it was in the supporting category. Um, and so, effectively, you had sort of two rounds. But, Jeff, what, what sort well, of got favor last night? Well, I think, um, I mean, Rango did really well last night, obviously. It was the most, it got the most awards um, of all the films. I, I kind of went into the VES Awards last night thinking that Hugo um, wasn't really listed in as many categories as I was expecting. I don't know why. I just felt like it got so many nominations in so many different categories in the main Oscars that I kind of thought, wow, they're getting a little shortchanged in the VES, which is ironic considering it's the movie about visual effects and the logo is part of the, you know, it's the whole tie in thing. It kind of surprised me, but it kind of made me go, wait a minute. Um, and I thought, well, you know, the problem is that, you know, visual effects artists are making these decisions and that maybe thinking about the amount of, uh, mayhem and things like transformers and doing it in stereo and all that kind of stuff at, at the level and the intensity maybe is more, I don't know. I, I, you know, and like the miniatures didn't win last night, right? Uh, miniatures didn't win. You mean, in other words, the, the train, train? Yeah, the train sequence, no. Um, no, it didn't. Um, in the two main categories, do you want to tell us who who won those? The ones I was referring to. The outstanding visual effects in a feature, in a visual effects driven feature film was Planet of the Apes, and supporting visual effects was Hugo. Those were the two big. Big awards. Okay, so if you were looking at just last night's VS Awards, which is, I should point out, voted by a different group than will vote for the final Oscar, certainly you'd say Rise of the Planet of the Apes and Hugo are the two um, kind of favourites. And Rise of the Planet of the Apes also won Best Animated Character in a Film for Caesar. Right. And so I think we'd, we'd all agree that if not to single out Caesar, then Caesar slash the um, orangutan and the the other apes. You know, that's... I mean, there are a lot of things in Rise of the Apes that they did, but nothing, uh, you know, sort of <laughs> stands as proud as the character animation work. And really, I have to say, kind of like this, obviously, character animation work in... Um, creature character animation work in Harry Potter, uh, but then you get to the character work as in the robot work in uh, in Real Steel and Transformers... 
But for that category, I think people err on the side of uh, creature character animation. Would you agree with this, Todd? Like when, when you think of uh, character animation work, people almost shortchange the Transformers style characters because they're mechanical. Or? Right. I mean, what I think a, a very important distinction to, to to remember here between the Academy voters and the VES voters. VES, the VES awards are voted on by the Visual Effects Society members. These are all like professionals in the visual effects craft. The Academy, the general voting membership of the Academy is the general membership. They all vote on every uh, category's uh, winners. Each branch de- determines uh, each of their branch's nominees, the, the executive branch of each of those uh, uh, categories. But the general membership, which is primarily made up of actors, I think it's like something like 40% of the general membership are actors, are the ones voting on all of these categories, you know, dozens and dozens of films. And they're, so the knowledge base of, uh, of visual effects or, or cinematography or editing, not to single out the visual effects, is wildly different than, say, you know, what the uh, uh, specific craft awards. So I think, like, the winners of, say, the VES awards last night, I think it, it definitely plays a part. Um, and what the Academy will end up voting on, particularly when it comes to like buzz and press and you know headlines that like we saw today, um, but it can sometimes be a very very different story. Um, generally speaking, though, yeah, you know the robots get the short shrift, <laughs> as we've seen in uh, from the original Transformers and um, well Transformers Two, not even getting a, a nomination. Um, and I, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see what happens this year. But uh, I think one usually... of the things that, but one of the things the Visual Effects Society kind of awards does give us is a little bit of an insight as to what the collective mind of those artists is acknowledging. Because if you like, the Oscars is a is a one level of granularity. You're either nominated or you're not. And if you're not, it's certainly you know, if you're in the in the top 10 or whatever, we're only talking about this one idea of sort of visual effects as that's it. We get a lot more granularity and, and sort of um, uh, insight into it when we go to the VFS because there are awards for compositing, there are awards for digital environments, there are awards for character animation. And so we start to see what people perceive the strengths of the films in because right. clearly it's the character work in, in Apes. Um, the complexity and the sheer just audacity of the level of visual effects in Transformers. Because let's face it, ILM last night was in like, including Rango, was in like 10 <laughs> categories and it won in seven of them. Um, and Transformers went fairly well in categories, especially like um, uh, the digital environment, I think it was, for Chicago and stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, and so all I'm saying is that I totally agree with you and it's a very good point that it's a very, very different structure. But it does give us some idea what people perceive the films as being strong in. Well, it also serves a very important purpose in the industry in that the... Um the Bake Off is strictly clips from the movie. I think even has to be presented in order that they appear in the movie. Oh, really? And only with original audio from the movie. Mm. And so there's no breakdowns, no nothing. Because there's like, what, five minutes to discuss? It's 10 now. It used to be 15, and the, and the Bake Off presentation reel is 10. I know that just because I was talking to Eric Nash about it. But the reels used to be 15, now they're 10, and yeah. the talk's like maybe five or 10, Oh, right? I'm sorry, the talk, yeah. yeah. So it's really short. Reel, yeah. There's really only a few quick Q&As, and that's it. So the fact that the VES allows not only um, breakdowns before and afters, but also 
on a global level, I mean, the view and vote system, what they say last night, like 50 countries or something? Yeah, and, you know, you can literally, uh, if you're a VES member, and I assume all three of us are, right? You're, you yeah. are, Todd, yeah? Yes. Yeah, so we all get to go onto the site and uh, we get to look at the, uh, the categories and we get in the... Okay, so let's pick something that's not on this list. Let's uh, talk about... Um, well, let's let's give uh, ILM a nod. Let's talk about the uh, event special event category. So there's a, a category for special event things, uh, and in this ILM had two things up uh, for contention out of five, which was Star Tours, the new version of Star Tours, and the uh, the Transformers uh, ride, which is actually in Singapore and coming to uh, America in like April or May. Okay, so in that particular case, I get to watch that because I didn't obviously get to Singapore, and obviously I, I didn't get to Singapore. Right. <laughs> um, heard about it, you know, but obviously, unless you're there, how do you judge it? Well, you see a clip showing what was shown on the screens, and then I get a half of the of that entire um, presentation was behind the scenes stuff showing how the ride worked and how it moved between different areas and. Um, you know, I could, have, I guess, abstain from voting, but otherwise, I get a chance to uh, to pick what I liked. And in that particular case, that ride in Singapore won best. Um, and and the reason I singled that out is because obviously I wouldn't be alone in being a member that hadn't been to Singapore and been on the ride. Yet it won. So clearly, people were judging from those reels that were available to members internationally. Okay. Uh, that that being said, I got to say the the awards. Just like voting on the awards and seeing these extraordinary reels from film and television and video games and and special venues, I mean, this is an an amazing uh, in uh, viewpoint viewpoint of the, the state of the visual effects industry at this time that is really unprecedented. I mean, you could you could consume as much media. Uh, on press and and read every single thing on effects guide, but you know it's a unique experience to be able to watch the best uh, films and video games and and television work, visual effects work, not only in terms of their clips, uh, in context of the of the final film, but the before and afters. Just to, you know, it's a, it's a really remarkable experience. And if anybody you know VES members have never experienced the nomination judging process which is where you see all of the qualified applications and then those groups of people determine which the final nominees are, that is an experience in and of itself as well. I mean, you, you really get a great sense as to what beautiful, amazing work is being done all around the world right now. Yeah, and of course, not just in films, because in the case of the VS Awards, we've been talking about films, but you, know, uh, you want to see how, I don't know, uh, Game of Thrones did the uh, ice wall. You want to see, you know, um, uh, sure, the Audi a, commercial. You know, yeah, the all Cinderella that. stuff. There was a lot of stuff in there from Grimm, I think it was. And well, actually, um, Once Upon a Time, right? As well, oh, the right. Castle yeah. and stuff. Yeah, um, stuff that I, you know, there's a lot of TV shows out that you just can't keep up with them all, and you really don't get a chance to see a lot of um, breakdowns uh, on some of those shows. So it's really good to be able to sit and. I mean, it's it's a daunting task. I mean, it really does take a lot of time to go through all the view and vote stuff. Yeah. So let's look at it another way. Let's look at it in terms of body of work because I um, I thought that Harry Potter um, may go well um, because Harry Potter is a sort of visual effects feast, has been uh, film after film. We're up to the eighth film being the second film for the seventh book. And, of course, Harry Potter isn't alone in being a, a sequel or a part of a trilogy or a franchise, if you like, because what of the films, what, three or four of them? Uh, three of them, right? Must be part of franchises or, or um, sequels or whatever you want to call it. Uh, three. Yeah. Three because, out of five. 
Well, though you could argue, I guess, Todd, that Rise is almost like a, a non-sequel, being that it's so kind of distinctively different from those that preceded it. Yeah, I kind of look at it. I mean, it's definitely drawing upon the, the mythology of Planet of the Apes, but it's it's really starting anew. Uh, it's not in that same world, and uh, so I, you know, it's it's drawing on the name recognition, but not not a typical sequel or re, you know. It's but it's way, you wouldn't vote for it on body of work because you don't right. sort of consider it. I mean, in Transformers, you could reasonably argue that if you wanted to vote for Transformers because you thought that the three films as a as a trilogy is an astonishing amount of work, they right. are built one on another, and there's continuity of visual effects house. Right. Um, in the case of Harry Potter, you might want to, you know, say, look, this the collective group that ended up pretty much as the UK houses um, just did an astonishing job over the series. Yeah. Uh, but you're probably not going to do that over the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how you guys feel. I, I really thought the last two particularly just stood out. Of Harry Potter? Yeah. It's been well, just a really... The, I, the game last three or four, on. actually, I yeah. think. And, and not just that. I mean, just these, like you said, this, but in terms of body work, these are eight films that... Uh, you know, are fairly, you know, universally loved. They made, they, they lifted the industry in terms of billions of dollars of box office. I mean, there's so much goodwill toward this series. And, and like you said, they seem to have gotten better over time. They, and, and then this last film just really blowing people away. There, there's a lot of goodwill toward, toward Harry Potter. The question is, from a visual effects point of view, you, you know, we discussed the idea that the, the general population of the academy are going to be voting on it i mean do we think that the academy members that aren't visual effects people somehow kind of hold a grudge against visual effects when they're seen to be the thing that's opening the film because transformers and i'm going to argue planet of the apes were you know made to be the films that they were in terms of opening not by the stars that were in them but by the visual effects of them which i don't think is the same thing that you would say of hugo now i'm not having a go at any film when saying that but Maybe real stills in the middle. I think Harry Potter was also like Hugo. I think when we were going, you know, if they had to put anything down because of the love of the books, but certainly it was an actor's film. There are lots of a huge ensemble of, you know, very much loved actors. Let's take a look at the, at the general voting body. I mean, what are they doing at this point? They're not even seeing the 10 minute breakdown, right? The, but at this point, they're getting a ballot. They, right. they don't get anything. They're, well, they, they don't have a, to They see. might get a screener. Yeah. Yeah, well, they, they might get a screener, screener, sure. But they're not required, or, you know, like, uh, for example, the, the, the visual effects branch. Uh, in order to vote on the Bake Off, you have to be there and right. watch all the reels. But yeah, they, they're just getting the ballot. Right. As a matter of fact, somebody joked to me last night that uh, you know, there's there's always speculation as to like, uh, yeah, I voted for my categories and my assistant filled out the ballot for the rest. You know, it's maybe a little too cynical, but uh, yeah, I have heard that. So the thing is, if you're an actor, uh, would you be would that? How would you feel about Rise of the Apes? Would you feel like? Because there was this sort of thing about, you know, was Avatar or some of the other films that have had digital characters that people were like, well, I don't want to... Well, for example, when um, there was a discussion about whether or not something like a Toy Story should actually, or a fully animated film, end up in a VFX because... And it was like, well, we don't want to have a film that's got all digital stuff in there because actors won't vote for it because actors want to see actors. But Rise of the Apes had this bizarre discussion about whether or not Andy Serkis should be nominated or somehow recognized for acting which of course then led to a huge backlash as to what what about the animators but i'm not going to discuss that for a second what i'm going to discuss is do you think actors would see rise of planet of the apes as being something that was wasn't it great because it was an actor feeding the animation or would they see it as hang on the lead and this is not one of us it's a 
Or am I just shortchanging actors? <laughs> I, I don't think you're shortchanging actors, but I do think that there's a... If it taken to, I think, a cynical point of view of, amongst actors could be, well, yes, Andy Serkis is the, the preeminent motion capture uh, performer. He's doing a lot of press. He's really trying to represent. But ultimately, when it comes down to this, could this be, could characters like Caesar be played by anybody? Are, are, you know, it, it, should, they, should I be threatened by the, the mocap revolution? I personally don't think they have anything to worry about, um, but there, there could be that cynical point of view, and that, that may cost uh, you know, certain votes toward Planet of the Apes. I mean, I can't imagine an actor, an actor, who uh, you know, is from the actor studio going, I want to vote for Transformers because you know, they're going to be like, well, that's not what I got into the craft about. And you're going to have it. Well, hang on. So we're talking about visual effects. We're not talking about you. But I don't know any actor that doesn't talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you've seen the breakdowns for the for the Planet of the Apes stuff, I mean, you know, there's no question the split screen stuff between, you know, Circus and and uh, oh, what's the ape's name? I can't remember now. You, Caesar. You said it. Caesar. Um, you know, spectacular stuff. And uh, I think somebody I was at a screening and somebody asked Joe Letary about this, like the whole Andy Circus thing, just briefly, and he just said, look. We had a team of people whose job it was was to make sure that his performance came through. That was the whole goal. So you can question it, but that's what we were, that's what we do. On every movie we've ever worked with, that's what we're doing. We're we're capturing that performance to put it in the other character. That's what we're doing. So you can argue it. I think I think I think that whole thing got really blown out of shape and it was mostly just because of some of the things that he may have said publicly or you know, but it was always in articles, so it was always who knows what was quoted and not, you know. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to go into that. I mean, we no. all obviously believe that the, um, that the performance was a contributing factor, in, and we also believe that the animators were a contributing factor. But quite frankly, and I made this point to some of the Apes guys last night when I was interviewing them, the lighting guys and the rendering guys were a huge contributing factor. You know, yeah, the sure. compositing guys were a huge sure. contributing factor because these were so realistically done. If they had fake-looking fur or fake-looking lighting or whatever, you wouldn't get the performance coming through. In the same way, if they had crappy costumes or bad physical makeup, you wouldn't, exactly. you know, you wouldn't be able to get a good performance coming through. I guess it comes down to my question is, uh, how does the Academy categorize these awards? Are they considered, quote, individual achievement awards? Because if that's the case... I think you can't make the case in that way. That's my only question. Okay, well, that's the bigger question, isn't it? Like, Todd, does somebody think that you can have really, really good visual effects, Academy Award-winning visual effects in a movie they hate, that they just didn't like the story? You know what? It, looking at history doesn't happen very often. Yes, Todd, let's talk about history. <laughs> I was thinking as we were talking about some of these things, I'm like, if only there was an algorithm. <laughs> Well, let me, uh, let me set this up, that I have been uh, playing a game with you, listener, uh, slightly, because um, as some of you already know, uh, Todd's actually taken this to its logical conclusion, and this isn't the first time we've spoken to you about this, um, and, and in fact, you've already published uh, your thoughts, but a lot of the things we've been discussing are, in fact, factors that feed into your now expanded formula, uh, affectionately known as the VFX predictinator, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I've wrote, wrote, written about this extensively on my uh, on my blog, Effects Rant. Um, you can you can find it all there if you're at all more interested in what we're going to be than what we're going to be talking about here. Um, just Google it. Um, yeah, I mean, this all started from 
way back in 07, actually when we were working on Transformers and, and how, you know, even we all, we, some of us have a sense as to the Visual Effects Academy Award. Like, okay, part of growing up is, you know, becoming a mature adult is understanding that, you know, the winner of an Oscar is not necessarily the end-all, be-all best. It's completely subjective. There are so many issues that, in politics and waves of, of momentum that, that determine a winner. You know, let, let's, getting that out of the way, you know, what really determines the winner of the Visual Effects Academy Award? And, you know, and, and by, you know, association, all the other um, categories as well. And my initial thought was that, critical acclaim definitely trumps. It doesn't matter, you know, and this is completely disregarding the quality of the effects, if they were innovative, if they were just totally extraordinary spectacle, groundbreaking, forgetting all that. Um, I thought the two major factors were either critical acclaim or box office, like which film or, you know. So which... that's really interesting because I would have thought, I would have agreed with you on critical acclaim, but subject to, you know, getting into your published stuff i would have said innovation that the academy rewarded somebody that came up with something new be that what we, you and i think of as like super technical innovation or just really cool new yeah. but that 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 new they didn't want to give an oscar to something they didn't think was new, not new that wasn't pushing the boundary that wasn't doing something they hadn't seen before and I would have said that vastly more than box office because in every other bloody category no one seems to give a rats about bloody box office yeah because no, they don't absolutely. make as much box office as we do. Sorry? Yeah. That's because they don't make as much box office as we do. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Well, I mean, and, and I, got, I got pretty crazy about trying, making charts and graphs, and, and I, tried, I tried to just kind of come up with some mathematical way of predicting it and, because the innovation is, is an abstract, you know. The, the, the most spectacle filled is an abstract. How do you quantify that? And, you know, just out of, as a pure exercise, I tried to come up with – you know, which uh, of box office and, and uh, critical acclaim, which would be a better predictor. And I ran all these numbers and, and uh, I, I, it was almost inconclusive. It was like two, thir- two thirds of the time the critical acclaim, the, the film with the most critical acclaim won. And I was discussing this with my wife and she's like, well, you know, that's, that's all well and good. But since you, you know, you're, you've already gone down this road, and you already know what happened in the past and you know what films were nominated and you know which one, why don't you come up with a formula? If you think you have a nice sense as to why certain films uh, win over others, you should really develop a formula. And so that we, we both kind of embarked on this. Uh, so, so let's just clear this up. Your wife, in other yeah. words, the person who would be most likely in my household anyway to stop you from wasting time <laughs> on such a venture, yes, exactly. said to you, a visual effects artist in the industry who works on sort of Academy Award nominated films, why don't you work on some cool mathematical thing that would cause all of your friends to applaud your incredibly insane, <laughs> innovative cleverness? And I didn't say she didn't try to stop me. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, no, she said, if you're going to do this, do, do it, it right. Well, okay, right. Okay. Don't, don't be all wishy-washy. Come up with something definitive. Because if you really think you know what you're talking about, you should really just lay it all out. So, so that's what we did. We really worked really hard on these, these criteria that are quantifiable uh, criteria to try and, you know, and, and we knew what the result, when you know what the result is going to be, like, which is the winner, you can, you can kind of 
if you have criteria, you can make the formula work in your favor. So that's what we did, and it worked. Uh, it has so far worked for 23 years of uh, visual effects. Uh, it has predicted the, the winner of the visual effects Oscar for 23 years. Now, any economist will tell you, and any uh, person who goes to a racetrack will tell you, that predicting anything in the future is still not 100% certainty. So the fact that you managed to do it 23 times in a row doesn't actually mean, or 21 times in a row, doesn't actually mean that this is guaranteed uh, to work. But it does kind of point to a certain thread of authenticity to this uh, discussion. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and if you want, I can go through some of the criteria and, and explain why we, you know, why we went down that road. Before you do that, let me tell you something you don't know, because I savoured this and didn't tell you this before we went on air. Because it might be interesting to everybody that thinks, well, okay, you know, sort of, what, what is, I mean, this is great. This guy, Todd's come up with this awesomely cool thing that these guys are about to geek out on. Todd, and I tell you this as I tell everybody else, I, I sat down last night with uh, Rob, who is um, obviously the visual effects supervisor of Hugo. Yeah. And I said to him, uh, point blank, hey, do you know that a friend of mine called Todd has come up with a predictinator and he said, and this is the best bit, he said, you know, in all honesty, I saw that. Up until the time I saw that, I actually didn't think I needed to bother writing a speech because I just thought that we were being included. But I was so stunned when I saw that that actually I thought I might have to start getting a bit more serious about this, as did everybody else involved uh, in the area. So it's, I think, heartening to know that it isn't just us that thinks your work here is kind of cool. The actual Rob Legato, the visual effects nominees, and this guy has already won his own fair share of Oscars and, and had lots of nominations. Uh, take your predictinator actually pretty seriously and give it a lot of respect. So with that in mind, that, that Oscar nominees and Oscar winners are, are regularly checking out your uh, polling, please go ahead and explain the formula for us before you tell us uh, what your prediction is. Yeah, sure. Um, the 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 first two categories are actually the first two criteria are actually ones I've already discussed. The the the, the critical acclaim, which is in our case, we're we're using the tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of critics that can, that gave a favorable review to that film. Um, and so we, we I chart all the three to five nominees. Um, we we come up with their tomato meter score, and then the actual scores are rated against each other. So. Um, it's a relative score. It's not an absolute score uh, between each of the nominees. So there's critical acclaim. Then next up is uh, domestic box office at the time that the Academy Awards nominations were came, came out. And those are pretty straightforward. It's a, it's a linear you know, scale. The more money that it made, the, the, the higher the, the value is. So you do think uh, there's a really good correlation between box office and visual effects? There, there is, but and each criteria, but uh, as I'll get into it, each criteria is not weighted exactly the same. So mm-hmm. higher points are for critical acclaim and for other things than box office. And actually, box office turned out to be a lower, um, uh, import, of lower importance than I was expecting. Right. Uh, so I was expecting it to be equal to, say, critical acclaim, but it, it was not. It was a lot lower. Okay. Um, <clears throat> next up is... Um, Academy Award nominations of, of the film, like for uh, uh, each of the nominees, how many Academy Award nominations did that film get? Now, wh- now what are we saying with this? We're saying that if the film, some most visual effects nominated films, you also get sound and sound effects editing um, 
uh, nominations. These are these are big action movies. These are big sci-fi spectacles. Usually, they get those additional two nominations along with it. So we said up to three nominations doesn't count to anything. Four nominations and above, you start to get a point value. So when you get a film that has a ton of Oscar nominations, like a Titanic or an Avatar or something like that, that definitely increases uh, your chances of winning the, the visual effects Oscar. And that, that's also on a weighted scale. Um, just like the prestige pictures of for best picture and stuff where they wait till later in the calendar year to release them. So it's fresh in Academy members minds. I mean, it's award se- the fall is award season. They call it um, that played a factor in visual effects as well. Cause summer movies, we noticed that had a, 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 a statistically speaking, had a, a greater disadvantage of winning than ones that are released in November and December. So you get a score based on what month, of release uh your film came out wait can i jump in for just one second I, I just i just noticed that everything you've mentioned so far up to this point really all goes a lot all factor into awareness i mean if the sound yes people are watching the category for sound they're may more inter- they're way more right it's a very much and all those things you mentioned even the tomato even the thermometer um, yeah, and everything. also you know it's like oscar buzz right like right. a film's got 11 nominations right. right there's a lot of press around yeah. it full stop uh, a lot right. of interviews are being done. It must, there could possibly be a lot of money being spent on a press campaign. Sure. And more likely for Academy right. members to say, well, I better see that. That got, you know. Yeah, because it's the film that everybody's seeing. In fact, a film could not be that popular and get a real kick along if it suddenly skyrockets in noms. Um, exactly. Sorry, just that, yeah. just dawned on me when you no, said no, I was thinking about all of those. But that's exactly what we're trying to get across with numbers is, is oh, general awareness and, and buzz and momentum. Um, next up is a, a sequel. Is the film a sequel? What we, you know, we, typical visual effects nominated films get a lot of big budget sequels, and we found that if the film is a sequel, it cost it cost it, uh, it, it, it put it at a greater disadvantage. Hmm. So you actually get negative points if your film is a sequel. Now that's interesting because we would think of actors as having body of work, and I've used that phrase tonight to do with Harry mm-hmm. Potter, but but. I would. I wonder because you know, I can imagine Transformers Three. Yes, that is a sequel in a, in a classic sense. Um, whereas I would have thought a series nowadays is a bit different. Do you think that's still? Would that be true? I know you don't factor it that way, but do you think there's something to be said that how important in your sort of waiting is the sequel score? Does that factor as a big factor, or is it just a minor kind of part of the mix? No, it's it's a big factor. It's as much as box office. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. If not more, I think it's slightly more. Mm. Um, I mean, this is just through history. Like we looked at Dark Knight and Pirates Three, and like uh, Lost World, and just all of these Batman Returns and Alien Three. I mean, we just consistently saw that if the film was a sequel, um, it took a big hit. And then the the next one. Well, but hang on a second. That that begs the question. You need to tell us. So, which way did you come down on the? Did you just say Planet of the Apes was a sequel because it's in the franchise? We did not, because it's kind of like the body of work. We said uh, uh, that along with, and I um, can't remember what the other, what, what our precedent was, but since it's totally unrelated to the previous films, we, we, and it's essentially a true reboot, um, we felt like we're not going to, it's not going to take that sequel hit. So we considered it not a sequel. So next year, if Spider-Man was in this mix, would you give it a sequel penalty or would you uh, say it's a reboot 
I don't want to think about next year. I'm already wor- I'm worried about this year. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's something that we're going to have to really think it's about. It's one of the few categories in your sort of criteria that is slightly subjective because... Oh, yeah. Oh, we're, we're getting... You know, the next couple are even more subjective. Okay. Mm-hmm. But um, along with the, the sequel score, if, if it, the film is a sequel and a previous sequel has won the Academy Award, that also gets a demerit. Um, so that's, that's said, and that, and that so, affects very few of the, so the, Godfather three was never going to win for visual effects. <laughs> exactly. There goes Titanic two. <laughs> Actually Titanic, Titanic three is... would be in trouble. <laughs> Avatar three is going to be in big trouble. Though, yeah, though Lord of the Rings, didn't that win on the third one? Um, Lord of the Rings got a, I mean, uh, yeah, all three Lord of the Rings won, uh, Academy right. Awards. So even with those demerits, it, it still overcame it. Okay, it still overcame it. Now the next one is was a was a really key one to to make certain years uh, win over others. Like the the, partic- the prototypical year for this category, this criteria was uh, 2007 with Golden Compass winning the Oscar over Transformers. Are the primary visual effects organic creatures? Mm-hmm. Now. You, there are some films where you can actually get into arguments about it, but most, in most cases, it's fairly cut and dry. Um, Transformers was not, and Golden Compass was. Right. Transformers 3 is not, and Apes is. Correct. Okay. Um, and if, that, if, if the answer to that is yes, the primary effects are organic creatures. And Harry Potter, I presume you thought that the major character work, such as the uh, dragon and the escape Snake, segments from Dringotts, did yeah, that rate as not we, being primary? Like not not primary because we factored in the, the, the environments and the magic and uh, flying sequ- I mean, I, I, because I, we just looked at it more of a, um, an ensemble visual effects piece, and I don't mm-hmm. think the character, you know, Voldemort's face, uh, you know, the... We, we did not consider it a primarily organic creature show. Okay. Um, and if it is a primary organic creature show, is there CG facial acting going on? And that, this one in particular, helps out films like a, uh, Babe winning the Oscar over a film like Apollo 13. Um, Which, you know, we, you know, no offense to Rhythm and Hughes, but I'm still a bit pissed about that. It, yeah, it's. Yeah. I think some champagne it, went to waste that night. <laughs> it's it's one of those head scratchers, and and trust me, we we when we're looking at the numbers, it's it's just so funny. The the ones that confuse us are the ones that are so hard to predict, and then we we finally coming up with these these criteria, and oh, it makes perfect sense, you know. Mm. And then finally, the one the uh, the the final criteria is uh, what we call actor prestige. So can it's, I just back you up one oh, second then? Sure. Just cl- another clarification then. So in the Lord <laughs> of the Rings. It wouldn't have rated in these last two things we discussed because we'd have thought that um, that the character work wasn't the primary visual effect, even though it was spectacular. Or in, for that matter, Harry Potter with uh, Dobby, um, even though that's full-on CG characters, they had to be in a very sort of prominent. Uh, or was that not the case with Lord of the Rings? Did you? I considering the fact that 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 uh, Gollum was a lead character in Two Towers and Return of the King, and it, it drove the story. I, I we did consider that uh, it, primary 
visual effects organic creatures and and with character facial a- a- acting so but like last year or so i think was harry potter nominated last year uh, last time with yes uh, it was so did dobby and uh creature probably didn't have enough screen time to write then is that right did or? not have enough screen time and the reality is that even if they did get the uh those notches um it wouldn't have affected the inception win okay so but no and trust me these are the ones that we <laughs> We really work hard on, um, and it, these, these are tough decisions. Um, the final criteria is actor prestige. Is the leading actor of the film an Oscar winner? And you're like, well, well that's a strange bit of criteria. But this one... So, Tom, <laughs> that's can't... a strange bit of criteria. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you might say that. Um, but looking at the numbers, uh, looking at the films, we could not get what dream may come and Death Becomes Her to win in their respective years. We just could not get those films to, to work. And then what I realized is that hmm. the, uh, the, the common thread between them um, were you know, actors, uh, in, in the case of Meryl Streep and Robin Williams, they both had acting Oscars underneath their belt, and they were the lead actors of the film, so that put them over the edge. What were the so, two films, sorry? What Dreams May Come and, May Come. and Death Becomes Her. Okay, I did Becomes not Her. remember Death Becomes Her as an Oscar. I winner. did not either. That's yeah. interesting. <laughs> so, well, it's funny. I was just thinking when you were talking about all this that if actors had to come up with a similar system to do this judging, I was thinking they'd have to do things like: is there an accent involved? Is there a death, a uh, life-threatening disease involved? And is Meryl Streep nominated in the category? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the old joke about best actor. You know, your your chances are really great if you're British playing someone with a mental deficiency or someone with a physical, physical uh, disability. And if you're all three, you know, you, you might as well write your acceptance speech right now. Unless it's a comedy. <laughs> Unless it's a comedy, <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> Lord only knows it's easy to get a laugh. Yeah. I'm being so, sarcastic, of course. Yes. Okay. We, so all of those criteria weighted against each other, and then we played with those numbers, and then you come up with a final score. And then since 19... What is it? 89... Okay, now just to be clear about this, you you've been talking about this like you did this to make this film fit and this film to fit and stuff. But when we're now getting into how it's worked, it's the yeah. same mathematical equation applied across all years. When you say we right. did this to make this film work, you applied it not just in that year, but in every year. It's we it's did it for every year. Yeah, this is a consistent across the board. Yeah, this is a unified formula that we did in 2008. So I no 2000 before the 2008 award season. So hmm. it worked for Benjamin Button, it worked for Avatar, and it worked for Inception. Uh, okay. Since then, without any alteration at all. Right. Hmm. So did they clearly work in those years? They both in all three cases they were the over they were definitive winners they had a vastly higher scores than their than their compatriots and and so this is a some kind of normalized score between like zero and one or one and ten and something um it's an additive uh you know uh you know i think i, I don't know what the maximum number of points could be if the if the film made you know three billion dollars the, the, the final score could be 15 Right. Where usually the winner is like has six points or seven points or eight points or something, but it's a, well as a percentage. Then it, it, you're saying that it's it's like when it's a clear winner, it means like it's uh, like you know twenty percent or sort of thirty exactly. percent more than anything around it. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's not down to splitting hairs. Okay, correct. All right. Well, with that in mind, and having just I think covered most of the films, um, uh, I think we've we've covered it from uh, that point of view. Um, we haven't discussed much about real still. Oh, I did want to point out one thing. Um, 
when you're discussing box office, uh, just to go back to that, I think we should just maybe, could we just quickly run through what those relative numbers are on the box office? Because uh, you and I may kind of have a, a sense of box office, but most people probably don't. Um, especially outside North America, know what the North American... And you are doing North American box office, not global? North American only, yeah. 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 So what was those box offices for the five films? And uh, let's work our way from the biggest down. Sure. The uh, highest grossing um, was uh, Harry Potter at uh, $381 million. Now, you know, I would have thought that would have been Transformers. By the way, that was also the 96% Rotten Tomatoes, the highest of the Rotten Tomato ratings of all the films. Exactly. Um, yeah, $181 million versus the Transformers 3 at $352 million. So, so you know. Pretty close. And 35%. Yeah. And, yeah. and I've got to say, did those numbers, so neither of those films, I'm just wondering, since those numbers were done, would those numbers have changed? I think the, not really, right? No, uh, considering that they were um, summer pictures. Yeah, only Hugo uh, was released really late in the year, wasn't it? So, right, okay. right. And and Hugo's box office is not even remotely close to these other ones, so it wouldn't made a big difference. Okay. Uh, next up, the uh, Planet of the a- Rise of the Planet of the Apes at 176 million dollars domestically, and that did that did a lot better than it could have done if Weta hadn't done a great job. Let's face it, because yeah, that wasn't a guaranteed walkout. That I mean, you know, you pretty much knew you could open Transformers three if ILM was doing it and Bay was doing it and it was, you know, but, uh, rise didn't have, so, you know, okay, good. That's, yep. and that's, but still like down a lot on the other two, wasn't it? 83% by the way, on the Rotten 83% tomatoes. on yeah. Rotten, tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. So that's, yeah. would, I would see a film that's would it, just speaking three of us individually. If you pay, do you pay attention to Rotten Tomatoes? Cause I certainly, I glance at I it. Glance. Yeah, I do. And I love anything at 80 or above. I don't like things at 40 and below. Particularly, you'd like all but two of these films, then. Okay, well, <laughs> but I don't. I don't. It's my. It's not my soccer trip, But I do glance at. It, I must say, when I don't know the film that well, on like an iTunes buy. Yeah. And in iTunes, it you know because these films, I'm seeing them well probably before even the critics. Have, I mean, we often see them at screener stage, um, at press stage. Sorry, but yeah. So okay. Yep. Okay. So let's see. Where are we now? We've done. The, uh, we've got two next, left, right? Yeah. Next up is a Real Steel at eighty-five million uh, domestically. Fifty-nine percent. Okay. Well, I liked Real Steel, but Jeff is less of a well, fan. No, no, no. I I love the work. Oh, right, I thought okay, that the work was amazing. I mean, I, I really. Um, I mean, the commonality for me with all these movies is just at the the films had most of these films had to be made around this time in the history of visual effects because of the amount of work that was involved and the level of work that was required to make these films work. I mean, the, the robot stuff in Real Steel, I mean, I, uh, I think it was just beautiful. I mean... Yeah, I thought it was great. You know, and the integration and the compositing and just everything about it. I mean, I, you know, I had my problems with it in terms of the story and stuff like that, but I, you know, I, that, that stuff, I mean, you know, um, and I just, I would love to... It seemed to me like there was, the entire movie was shot in a two-hour window of light in the period of day. Everything was, the whole movie was, I was like, did they shoot for two hours a day and what did they do the rest of the day? Because everything seemed to be shot at the golden hour. You know, uh, Thingo who did Tree of Life, um, what's his name? Uh, Malik? Um, Terrence Terrence Malik. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently when he was doing Thin Red Line in Queensland in Australia, because I spoke to someone that was on the shoot as an actor, 
when I was a stunt. He said, that's literally what he did. He said, they'd get up in the morning and they'd shoot dawn and then they would just stop shooting and they would have this insanely long middle of the day break and then they'd shoot again at dusk. And they did, that's all he did. He just did not want to even be outdoors. There wasn't even like nothing about it. The only thing he could do is dig trenches and set stuff up for when they were going to shoot later in the day. But if you're in camera department, you may as well be cleaning lenses because there's no need to even pay attention. Um, well, as a photographer, I, I appreciate it. I enjoy it. I, I thought everything was beautiful. It just, it's I, not I, called I kept, Magic Hour for nothing. No, I just kept thinking, wow, the next scene just started and it's that same time of day. Hey, because I'm on a rat hole, Todd, did you like Tree of Life's Fear Effects? Uh, I have not. I, I have an infant son, so I haven't been able to see movies in the theater in quite some time. Have I mean, you haven't I'm, seen a restaurant in some time? <laughs> that, that either. Um, no, I haven't, I haven't been to the cinema in some time. So, I've seen the, <laughs> sorry, it just, like, just seems to me that all you get to do is sit around at 3 o'clock in the morning working on formulas because you're up because you've got an infant child. That's kind of right. Yeah. Okay, uh, so we've got one the, left. What, the effects of real, uh, Tree of Life is just extraordinary. Anyway, uh, the last film... Uh, for box office is Hugo at fifty six million, which 90, is lower 94%. than I expected. Actually, yeah, I, I don't know why. I, I mean, you and I talked about it in the um, BFX show about it. That I just think the promotion on the film, I, I, I wasn't impressed with it. I thought the poster was the worst poster ever for trying to get across a film that I liked. It just didn't yeah. do it for me. Well, do you think it should have been marketed more as a family film? Because I, I've even heard from folks that have seen it that. At two and a half hours and some of the subject matter, it is a PG-rated film in the United States, but I haven't really talked to anybody who would say, yeah, I'd bring my kids to it and see it a couple times. I mean, what, did, what do you guys think? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think I'm sure that is the problem to a certain extent, but um, yeah, it didn't have enough romance to be a date movie. It didn't have enough kids' entertainment value to be a kids' film, and it, it, it was a cinema lover's film by a guy who tends to make films that either contain biographies of rock stars or, or <laughs> kill it. Actually, that was a very funny um, thing at the VES Awards last night. Uh, Pat Oswald, who was the host, came up on stage after Martin Scorsese had surprises by appearing to um, open the proceedings. And so Scorsese walks off stage, Patton walks on stage, and he says, I'm going to say I'm just really stunned to be here because I saw – I'm going to paraphrase now yeah. – I saw um, – Martin Scorsese arrived for the event tonight and he went from like outside in the car park right the way down, out through the lane at the side here, up into the green room, back inside. <laughs> One shot. Kill six guys. No, never cut. Pat Oswald knows his stuff. I think he's a good host. I, that is actually lower than I expected. That is pretty... For a film, that's low, isn't it, really? I mean, they would expect... Them, I mean, I don't know how much it costs, but do, how much did it cost? Do you know? I don't remember. I'm sure it wasn't a mega budget. Had to be. I remember discussing that with Rob. It wasn't a mega budget. It had not... to be fairly significant. No, no, it wasn't like what you expect. It wasn't like 150 million plus. I don't think. Really, it, it's it's funny you mentioned budgets because I get a you know I got a lot of feedback, just wonderful feedback from people about this predictinator. And there were some people saying, "Well, you you need to add pieces of criteria. You need to add." the budget of a film because the mm. higher the budget the more they could have expend on visual effects and maybe mm. there's a correlation between that and the winner and my my take on it is that well budgets there's there's no such thing as a known real budget the but bu- 
production costs are a highly guarded secret uh, uh, amongst studios and producers. They're, it's it's not available information, so it's not something that we can compare from from year to year. Same thing with marketing budgets, like how much money was spent on the free consideration ads or on commercials or whatever. That's not quantifiable. It's it's just, those are studio secrets. There, that's not something they want to brag about. Well, I okay. Have that being said, I will say to you that I will go to IMDb Pro and tell you that I was wrong. That the budget was estimated at 170 million. Yeah, I was thinking so it was I close was, to two, but I couldn't. I'm uh, remember why. Okay, so I'm. So maybe that's not right, but it certainly indicates that uh, the number that you were quoting, which was what, how much were you saying that it did in your? By the time it, by it the time earned it, uh, 56. Okay, now it would have gone on to earn more than that, but nevertheless, yeah, it's at 62 right now. Not a lot, mm. though. Yeah. It's uh, Scorsese's fourth highest grossing film. Really? Yeah, behind The Departed and Shutter Island, The Aviator, and Cape Fear. Hmm. Huh. Okay. Oh, Gangs Aviator, in New York in there. So. Aviator, I would have. Yeah, okay. Huh. Anyway. All right. So, all right. Oh. So, with that being said, oh. and with your That's... secret formula for how they all kind of weigh up against each other, um, is there anything we haven't covered? I guess... Sort of drum roll. Are you at the final score department? Oh, I'm there. I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> uh, Hugo with a huge win at uh, with uh, just it's an arbitrary number, but it's eight point four points, um, which is a very high uh, point value. It's higher yeah. than Inception. It's, it's higher than really? even uh, Avatar. And is it is it more separation from the guy that's coming second than those other films it's a it's it's a two-point separation between that and planet of the apes which comes in next at 6.2 and right behind that is harry potter at 5.3 lower down is real steel at uh 2.9 and transformers 3 with a lowly 1.0 it's the lowest score in the history of all of the charting that we've done uh, wow. for the print yeah. so you Which are really going to look you are going to really look fucked up man if that wins because <laughs> you are going to be like both a well, happiest guy and the most miserable guy i know i'm going to be thrilled because i'm very proud of our work on transformers 3 and i'll be happy to say that you know i'll shrug my shoulders the predictinator didn't get it right i mean to be to be completely fair, I'm you know I'm, I'm a little nervous about this. My gut is telling me that that uh, the astounding work in Planet of the Apes is going to get rewarded with uh, an Academy Award. That's just what my gut is telling me based on the buzz and the press and and everything. And I'm thinking about the average Academy voter, but um, you know Hugo has a lot of stuff going for it. It's got all these Academy Award nominations, which indicates that it's in P- it's in the Academy voters' minds. It's it has won Golden Globe. I mean, it's it's riding a wave. I mean, yeah. no Academy voter has ever probably felt bad about voting for a Scorsese picture. So you know, who knows? I don't think most people would be able to name the director of Rise of Planet of the Apes. Exactly. True. And I've got to say, the other thing is, what we think of it very much, it hasn't really been. I mean, why would it be in the forefront of most Academy members? thinking do you know what I mean like it's not as if you know around town here in Los Angeles right now you know I see Hugo stuff right left and center because of that it came out recently phenomenon right I don't see ape stuff um, right. in the general kind of streets of LA sense right so and it's hard because you don't have so many actors to kind of you know you don't have like huge love of Franco 
I mean, he's right. He's yeah, liked, right. but he's not like you know, it's not like a and it's not a Franco treasure. picture. Yeah, you know, nobody would, uh, would you know, you you could be talking about Planet of the Apes for for hours and and go, oh yeah, and then James Franco, yeah. oh yeah, he was in that, you know. <laughs> because what you really want around this time to get some good publicity is somebody that's going to go on a chat show. You know what I mean? And right. if you have Scorsese turning up at the opening of anything, it's newsworthy, as we saw last night. But there's no one that can turn up at the opening or... I mean, let's say tomorrow morning the Today Show has somebody on from Rise of Planet of the Apes. It's hard to have the kind of pull that you could get by just having Scorsese himself turn up for an interview. So, I mean, you know, to, 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 to further this, I mean, not only Scorsese, the love that, that Academy voters will have for him, the film is also about cinema. <laughs> I mean, there, there, there's something to be said about that. I mean, it, it, it's not a dark story. It's not a, a horrific story that exposes some horrible truth about humanity. You know, it, it, it's, it's about their craft and a loving portrait of their craft. So, you know. And, you know, there was that whole thing about in the 80s and the 70s, if you wanted to get a hit on radio, you put the word radio in the title of the song, right? Cause, <laughs> yeah. They always played it that way. Um, in fact, that was the only song that the Buggles ever seemed to get any movement with <laughs> for that reason. Um, yeah, okay, so I can see that that would... I, that, you know, I do think you're absolutely right in that uh, if you were going to do a blind guess, last night was a good indicator, right? Hugo and Rise of Planet of the Apes. And in that particular case, Rise of Planet of the Apes was in the sort of primary category and Hugo was in the supporting role category. But it isn't that group that's voting. Um, right. So certainly... That's one thing that would say, yeah, well, that would make sense. But you know what? I think the other thing is, if you were wrong and it was Rise of Under the Apes, if you could say that this was true, you know, sort of 20 out of 21 years or something, I mean, this wouldn't be the uh, worst batting average, would it? I mean, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd still be pretty proud of that. I mean, and, and you know, trust me, we, my wife and I have been talking about this and... If we do need to um, work on the formula, we have a, a new bit of criteria that we may add if it turns out to be one of the other films that we may have ready to go, but I'm not going to put the cart in front of the horse just yet. I'm going to see how this plays out. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, like, what would be the the uh, the X factor, the unexpected thing that caused Planet to be so different from uh, from what had gone before it? Because it is quite frankly, still second, right? So it's not as if it's, you know... Um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you'll have to stay tuned. Okay. Hmm. So, Interesting. So let me ask you, Todd, completely independently uh, of uh, any view of work done by your colleagues or anything, I mean, not who should win, just in terms of a shot or a sequence or anything, like, was there anything that really stood out for you? Because I'm going to tell you that one of the sequences I really do honestly believe this year was one of the most remarkable ever was in Transformers. The collapse of that building um, was just breathtaking. I mean, that was a shot that I really sat up and and started to ponder how on earth I'd even go about doing it. But um, for you, was there a shot that you saw in something else that you went, oh my God, this is just really a good... Forget all the other stuff, not who's going to win, just yeah. something that got your attention. Well, uh, first off, uh, uh, thank you very much. I, wor I worked very hard on that. Um, I was the composite sequence supervisor on the Tilted Buildings building sequence and worked. a lot of people worked really, really hard on that. So thank you very much. It's really kind. Um, and I should abstaining... say, I said that publicly before I even knew you'd worked on it. So, yeah, <laughs> completely. Uh, abstaining from Transformers 3. Um, I, I got to say, the, um, 
the the Golden Gate Bridge sequence in Planet of the Apes really blew me away because for for a couple reasons. One, uh, at that point in the movie, that, the 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 flow of the film, the narrative had been uh, building to such momentum to this to this breakout, and what, by the time the apes got on the bridge, I I was not thinking about effects at all. I was not thinking about CG apes at all. Um, a couple moments with some of the helicopter work uh, and, and helicopters swinging around, and some of the camera of God stuff where the camera's doing things that, you know, subconsciously we know cameras wouldn't be able to do in real live action. With those minor exceptions aside, I thought the work was extraordinary. Not just the apes, but as someone who's driven across the Golden Gate Bridge pretty much every day for 10 years, um, the, the bridge itself, the, the, the environment, which is a partial set, blue screen, and, and totally digital environments, I, I totally bought it. I mean, it, it was totally uh, very accurate and honest the fog levels and the visibility and and I, I, that that sequence has blew me away i've got to say the uh it's funny you talk about the camera because i actually thought the camera was really good on that bridge especially as that chopper crashes there's some really nice camera work moving uh, across the bridge from so i think camera left to camera right as you're sort of seeing it through cars and stuff I thought it was some really good virtual cinematography, but that I hope isn't what you were referring to when you said you. I'm, you know, like in particular, there's a couple shots of the, I think, at the orangutans, where the camera goes from the 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 the, the, the lanes of traffic that zooms below, all right. in one take below the bridge, things like that. That you know, I know I'm very sensitive to that stuff, and I call it out, and uh, it throws me out of the out of the moment. Uh, in terms that. of the character work, I've been going on about how just good I thought the orangutan was. Jeff, do you agree that the actual orangutan in the, you know, Caesar was great. We've talked about him, but the orangutan as a secondary character yeah. is freaking remarkable. The whole film. Yeah, everything. I just, yeah, I mean, just beautiful. Was there some other sequence in some other film that for you was well, just like a... you know, what stood out for me, there are a couple things that reviewing Harry Potter for some of the view and vote type stuff and... Uh, just in general, because I've seen it. It was quite a while ago, right? Yep. It's just, you forget just how much work there was in that film. I mean, the, there's a lot of great destruction stuff. There's mm-hmm. a lot of creatures and variety of creatures, dragons, snakes, spiders, fire creatures, smoke creatures, uh, with the, the, the Deathly Hallows. Um, there's some clever camera moves, like that one where it goes down the wand, uh, these really extreme, wild, and through the... Um, through Hogwarts, even there's there's some through the wall, you know, through the building. There's some just really. I remember seeing these camera moves and reminding and environment work and crowd works and particle works and. There's a the, shot the where they scene. started moving the camera in, sweeping in, and the um, thing where they played Quidditch is on fire and yeah. it's collapsing. Probably wasn't the most complicated visual effects shot in a film of very visual effects shots, but I'm by that point I was willing to stand up and start cheering <laughs> and punching. Yeah. It was uh, it was a rousing set of visual effects. I totally agree with you. Yeah, that that got me. Um, the scene that I've probably seen now a bunch of times and looked at over and over again is in Transformers. Besides the building fall, which I think everybody points to, is that uh, insane scene on the freeway where the uh, where he gets thrown out of the car and then the car goes back into the car. Oh, in the slow motion in the middle, and yeah. then at the end of it, he's just sitting yeah. there screaming. Yeah, like don't yeah. do that again, Bumblebee. Yeah. It's just thing. one of those scenes that just goes by, and you're like. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, we were talking to to Scott about that. Uh, the visual supervisor. He was saying just how much the actor hated being in wire rigs, yeah. and so it was. He just really does not like them. And and you know, 
fair yeah. enough. But it, yeah, with that was uh, they had to get that, and getting it was no small feat. Jeff, you, we, you're on all three films. I got to say, just uh, we 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 tried to we, we eke in some moment where um, the passenger of a car that is a transformer gets jettisoned in mid transform, and this was a perfect opportunity to do that because you, and it's particularly with the high frame rate, it super slow mo. Nowhere to hide on that one. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, a really good opportunity. Let me also say, Jeff, because obviously you're at uh, Digital Domain, uh, as Todd is at ILM, but I actually thought Real Steel is getting a slight... Uh, you know, it's a, it's a really good film. And I've got to tell you, there are sequences in Real Steel where... Um, and, and I was actually funny because I was talking about this to Eric and I was about to compliment him about it until he pointed out I was actually complimenting for something that the DD team didn't do. It was done practically. There's a scene in it where the, the uh, robot is sitting, looking at itself in a mirror, and the camera just pulls back slightly before they go up to the, uh, the VIP lounge. And I got to tell you, I realized at that point that I was on my edge of my seat. Is it going to move? Is it going to react to itself? He, mm. The film had so cleverly set up. Is it got any intelligence? Am I just anthropomorphizing it? Is the kid just in, in sort of putting emotions into it that aren't there? And I just sat there, like never, I can't remember, just being so kind of like, what's going to happen? And there's nothing moving on the screen. There's a slow tilt on the camera, but yeah. that's about it. And I was like, and I, I said that uh, to the guys, and they were like, well, actually, it was fully practical. But, the, <laughs> but, that, but that's also interesting because the, the digital representation of that robot in Real Steel versus the mechanical one, clearly I couldn't tell it apart, and I was staring at that. And I just assumed it was digital because it looked so much. It wasn't like I oh, were well, also, you know, because there are some scenes in uh, Terminator and stuff where you go, well, that's obviously a, uh, a close-up real thing. I know that's a, you know, distant CG thing. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, anyway, I just think no. Real Steel and Digital Domain has had a good year, I think, and uh, contributed really well to a bunch of films. But I, yeah, I'm a real, yeah. I, I really liked it, Real Steel. No, I, I, like, I liked the work a lot. I thought it was really good. And, and uh, I, I'm in commercials, so I'm not affiliated. I've seen a lot of the work. I had seen a lot of the work go by as you know stuff was being done, but then when I saw the whole film, I was like, "Wow!" The just the variety of the robots and the environments and the interaction with lights and you know the crowds and flashes and it just was beautifully done. Yeah, and I mean, clearly neither of you speak for the companies; you're just yeah. here as individuals, and and yeah. and we appreciate you doing that. Um, but by the same token, uh, you guys are kind of modest, so I'm willing to call them out. I think they're, they're both brilliant work uh, from both companies in a bunch of things and i think also the london houses um you know ended up owning the potter sequences uh so the potter series because you know most of it ended up in the uk and and rightly so the work that they did um is just as good as has been done anywhere else and you know in some cases uh, exceptionally uh, good i guess we're we're all compositors or uh you know sort of bias a bit to compositing but um but I don't think that really affects our view on things. I mean, I think that the quality of the, the CG and stuff that uh, was in these pipelines is just exceptional. Was there any scene in Hugo that either of you thought, like, stopped you in, in your tracks? Because there was one for me, and I've said it before. It was the de-aging uh, stuff done in stereo. I said it earlier in this podcast. So I'm, that's my flag. But if Hugo was to win and somebody said to you, what was the shot that you liked in that, what would you say? I loved the uh, one that we later found out the complexity behind the uh, chasing Asa down the um, spiral right. staircase and the slide, yep. and yep. I just loved that shot. I just thought it flowed beautifully, and and we got into the details. 
spinning the entire set to get the camera to follow him. Yeah, just clever, practical, and visual effects solutions to that problem. I, I, I just, you know, I love the whole film. Obviously, I've gone on record about that many times, and, you know, I think it'll do really well. But I just, you know, I thought that was really spectacular. Todd? Yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm also just a complete sucker for the long take. You know, I, I, from, from Touch of Evil, Children of Men, and, and all of the Scorsese one, you know, like a, the Goodfellas scene. And uh, I'm just such a sucker for that. And then, yeah, you know, you see the real cleverness and inventiveness of, of Legato and how he puts this stuff. He's, a, he's an incredible logistician, you know, like getting the logistics of this stuff. And, and you know, only after you see how they've done it, you're like, Oh wow, that is absolutely clever, <laughs> um, and all of the nostalgia for the um, uh, for the Melies films, the the train crash uh, based on the real train crash. You know that stuff. I don't know that that really touched me. That yeah. was really gorgeous, gorgeous work. When I I didn't see much behind the scenes before we saw the film. Yeah, and I remember the first time I saw one of the green screen plates from the inside of the train station. I was kind of holy crap. <laughs> they did a whole lot more work than I thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that uh, long take sequence going down the spiral staircase, I remember at the time sitting there thinking, uh, hang on a second, I know this is an Alexa rig, and the Alexa <laughs> rig is so big. How the hell did you do that? I know, you're thinking, did they switch to GoPros here and yeah. convert it? What the hell? How'd they do this? Yeah. yeah. Actually, it's funny when you, uh, there was a commercial that we're looking at that had this guy jumping around, and uh, and unfortunately... I mean, it's, I'm jaded, but when I saw the making of and I realized there was a guy really jumping those distances, but on green screen plinths. So that there was a huge gap, but they were just green things, not big pieces of whatever metallic stuff that was in the commercial. I was like, oh my God, that's so impressive. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> if you could somehow show people the, uh, the original green screen, it might actually be more impressive than the CG uh, environment that you placed it in there. Because once the fully CG environment was in there, I just assumed the guy was CG. Um, and and he, poor bastard wasn't. He was risking his neck by jumping from you know, <clears> one <throat> huge bloody thing to another. But anyway, um, yeah. that's that's the risk, isn't it? I, I guess, yeah. I think that's that next year or sometime there'll be a film that goes all out in trying to do stuff like that where it's very much, um, you know, because I think there's a tide for people wanting to do that. We're seeing it in a lot of commercials and a lot of other things. The uh, OK Go Guys kind of thing, mm. you know, where they'll do a bunch of mega visual effects, but they're all physical effects, special effects, just to prove a point. And we'll sit here and kind of point out that they could have done it better digitally, and the audience well, will love it for not. I definitely had this experience of like dealing with audience expectations. I mean, the audience expectation now is that pretty much any time you see a spectacle, it's it's CGI, you know, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, for Mission Impossible, you know, try having to explain to people that in the Dubai sequence that that is really Tom Cruise with a ton of safety equipment and safety wires and tons of precautions. But for well over half of those shots, that is him actually on the side of, of the 110th floor of the, of the Burj Khalifa. I mean, people, you know, even relatively intelligent people, even after seeing some of the footage, were like, no, that can't possibly be him. And it's, it's, a, it's a weird, you know, um, turning our expectations on our, ed, on, on our heads because now everybody's expecting digital doubles and face replacements and all of this type of stuff where even when they see the real thing, it's hard to swallow. Uh, yeah, but then 
that's been not helped by the, you know, infinite number of YouTube videos of people doing stuff with visual effects in wobbly cam to sort of make it look like it's real when it wasn't that, you know, it's all about tricking you. And the other thing I'd say about that is I didn't believe it. (laughs) And my reason was I didn't see how they could get a completion bond on the film. Because you know, some accountant sitting there going, why do you need to have Tom Cruise out there? They go, well, because I want to do it. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not going to back your film. If anything happens to Tom, you know, my 140 million buck kind of guarantee is going to come into play. No, Tom can't go out on the wire. So I still, to this day, do not know how they got a completion bond on that film. Because <laughs> there was a James Bond film, like with Roger Moore, where he wanted to do his own stunt, and they weren't going to let him. And then... They mucked it up three times as though he did it, and he dislocated his shoulder. It shut down production, and it cost them a fortune. And ever since then, this is like in the seventies or maybe early eighties. Oh, yeah. It's been like, why would you bother? Like, well, there's legendary stories in this town about you know famous Western actors who, in later years, were not allowed to ride horses because of that, and yeah. were you know put on buck, you know, bucks and fakes <laughs> and CG'd and you know all the stuff to ride horses again. I, I mean, honestly, like I have no idea how Tom Cruise got completion bond for that film, and no film gets made without a completion bond normally. So, it's it's not only just our cynical nature. I think it's like if you don't know anything about the film yeah. industry, why the hell would you do that? It was shot on a giant pile of money, though. I mean, the the actual building itself is a pile of money. Yeah, <laughs> you think like Tom lost a bet, or actually won a bet, maybe with uh, somebody. Yeah. So they look like it's fun. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, that's another good film. We like that film. Yeah. Um, Hey, can I throw a rat hole in here? Just yeah, totally sure. like, uh, because when I was looking at stuff as we were, as I knew I was going to be involved with the show, I just happened to notice on the Telecine Users Group, which you and I, mm-hmm. I'm sure all of us have been on for a long time, somebody just posted a list of the nominated films and what they were shot on for Best Picture. And I was kind of surprised because with all the stories in the news lately about Kodak. So not for visual effects. For, no, for just in general. Picture. I okay, started yeah. there. That's what kind okay. of led me down this path. Sure. For Best Picture, there were nine nominated films, seven of which were shot on film two of which were shot with the Alexa. That surprised me. Huh. So The Artist, Kodak Film, Descendants, Kodak, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, Alexa, The Help, Kodak Film, Hugo, Alexa, Midnight in Paris, Film, Kodak Film, Money well, Ball. I can, I can explain this. This is, yes. this is very easy to understand because a lot of these are very small independent films and only very yes. small independent films can afford to shoot on That's film. Right. That's right. Because only they have the nostalgia of uh, believing that that'll give them... Uh, the Tree of Life, War Horse... And then if you go to cinematography, five nominated films. Three oh, of God. them were film. One was red. One was Alexa. See, the thing is, what was it? There was somebody I was talking to the other day uh, about... Oh, no, it was literally... It was... Uh, okay, so I don't think I can discuss it. It's an upcoming film, so it hasn't been released yet, and I can't discuss it yet. But there's right. a big upcoming film, very big upcoming film, that is shot on film. And uh, they were saying that at the end of the day, the reason they shot on film is that the director just seriously thought that he wouldn't shoot on film again. He was like, I'm going to shoot this one on film because this is probably it. Hey. Anyway, well, I, and there I, was an article I in Variety by those numbers. Where, they, where somebody, uh, Jonathan Amayo, the vice president of production and post-production for Moviola, said he thinks that right now the percentage of films being shot on, movies being shot on film is between 50 and 70%. Because many Helmers insist on using film to get a certain look for their project. That's from a Variety article, February 4th. Film survives amid digital well, There world. you go, Todd. Next year, we'll be discussing the... the <laughs> have to throw that into the mix. ...correlation of uh, film stock to uh, digital sensors. You know, and... 
you know, over the years, we definitely noticed in the statistics, like post uh, Jurassic Park, and like when when CG characters became more prominent in uh, um, in these visual effects films, that it did change uh, some of the, the flow of the, the winners. And who knows, maybe 3D, IMAX, 60 frames per second, uh, video, you know, maybe these will be new criteria. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that 3D is going to force you to go digital. But whether or not right. there's any correlation between stereo yeah. between stereo and winning, uh, yep. is probably a more interesting question right. than digital or film. Well, in uh, that same article, the, the guy did point out that uh, that film is very quickly scanned and immediately moved to a digital workflow. I mean, it's just it's literally acquisition and done. No, no, I know. But I mean, like, if Avatar, you know, obviously pioneered 3D and wins in visual effects, Hugo, right. if it was to win right. in visual effects... Um, then you start true. to see quite a lot of any film that comes out in 3D is more likely to yeah. win. Whether that is sustainable hmm. or not is another matter. Exactly. Hmm. All right. Well, look, I want to thank you guys so much for being with us and uh, discussing our various uh, theories. Um, I, I've said this countless times this last week. I'll say it again. Uh, clearly getting the nomination is the thing that shows that this is a film worthy of winning an Academy Award. Hmm. What actually tips you over the line, as we've just discussed, has a lot of stuff to do with stuff that isn't about whether your visual effects are better than the next guys. Um, and so there's absolutely no doubt that anyone who worked on any of these five nominated films, or actually any of the ten that were in the Bake Off, because um, I just really, you know, yeah. there's no way you could say that the guy that did the roto or the, you know, the wire removal in. I don't know Harry Potter's flying sequences is any less or or more uh, brilliant than the guy that did the you know set exception. Right. In yeah, there's not a there's not a film in there that anybody that has any you, reason to be. You would be proud to be on any of them. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Exactly. You know. They're great stuff. Um, great. But one of them will win because that's what happens. Uh, and we'll see if we can whether or not uh, the uh, predictor is uh, is holding form. <laughs> and if not, we'll uh, we'll come at you uh, to congratulate you as well as to mock you. I'll be ready. So, <laughs> um, if people do want to look, can you just give a plug to? You said Google it, but in all seriousness, people do want to know your actual FX Rant site. Uh, sure, uh, fxrant.blogspot.com. And uh, I've been trying to have fun on the Twitters. Uh, I'm T Vaziri, T V A Z I R I. And, you know, I could almost have spent as long talking to you about the uh, stuff that you're publishing in terms of contribution to box office or average earnings per. Uh, nominee, uh, because that is um, in of itself a remarkable thing. We might leave that for for another day, but suffice it to say that uh, if you really want to affect uh, <laughs> earnings, uh, this is the uh, the side of the industry to be in. Um, <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> yes, uh, quite remarkable actually uh, yeah. in many respects. And and I noted with some interest that the other departments that contribute makeup. I thought it was really nice. So, um, hey, so thanks for that. And uh, we really do appreciate you being on the show. Jeff, uh, you're on the Twitters. I'm on the Twitters as Neon Marg, short for Neon Margarita, which is my domain I bought many years ago. Yes, I should N-E-O-N. say you were doing a stellar job Twittering um, the, uh, the winners last night. Whenever you go to an event, if you want to follow me for pithy remarks, please, I might say more. But if you want to show up for actual <laughs> factual information, Jeff is a machine. And, uh, I have systems. Have to... I have systems. I have friends <laughs> who have written software that make systems easy, so it's good. <laughs> Is that Unix? No, no, Unix? no, no, no. If you ever want to, uh, no, never mind. Anyway, anyway, at Neon Marg is my uh, handle, and yeah, I, I try to. Though since 1999, 
established in 1999. We can also find you and I at... fxguide.com, indeed. The yes. FX Guide, FX PhD universe. Yes. We had some uh, phenomenal opportunities to interview people for stuff coming up on FX Guide last night, as we are the rest of this week. Um, yes. I was over at a house today that... Uh, uh, does amazing work, nothing to do with uh, feature films. We're discussing um, commercial and uh, cinematics for um, games. So all of that's going to be coming up uh, in the coming weeks on FX Guide and, of course, over at uh, fxphd.com where we're doing, uh, obviously, a lot of training and stuff in a lot of the uh, things that we've been discussing tonight. Thanks so much for being with us, guys. Um, Honestly, a dead... Absolutely, completely seriously. Congratulations to anyone that's been nominated because really, I know you don't, but you shouldn't care whether you win because it's, uh, it is absolutely enough just to be nominated. Thanks so much for listening, guys. See you. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright 2012, FX Guide, LLC.